0: Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kanapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. It's minor league baseball season. That's right. All of the affiliates in the Chicago White Sox organization are underway. Charlotte Knights started last week. Birmingham Barons, Kannapolis Cannonballers, Winston-Salem Dash, all are underway. James, a lot of fun this time of year because leading up to today there's a lot of speculation. We're trying to wonder, you know, we're guessing Charlotte's roster gets released. And then we kind of think about what that means for Birmingham. And once we settle on Birmingham, it's fun for us to piece together Canapolis and Winston. But I think overall this is a pretty healthy crop of prospects that we're going to cover this year across the board.
2: Yeah. I mean, it seems like the system's a little bit better um, than it's been obviously for a little bit. There's guys I feel like at each affiliate that we can cover so I think the like the biggest difference is probably like the pitching staffs I guess I would say like we were just kind of talking you know there's there's multiple starters in each rotation you know where at least one turn through you'll want to watch or you know follow one of the teams so I think that's probably the area that I most look forward to.
1: We're going to break down the affiliates, we're going to look ahead to the 2023 season, pick out some prospects that we're excited to watch, but before we get into that James, you had a feature on jacob burke miami university grad and university of miami grad i should say and he was very forthcoming to you uh, you sat down and talked to him wrote an article for futuresox.com you could also find it on socks machine and i really enjoyed reading that piece because it suggested to me that jacob burke has a plan not only is he confident in himself he understands what it means to be a successful professional player and ultimately get to the big leagues now those who don't know Jacob Burke, an 11th round pick in 2022, had a cup of coffee in the Arizona Complex League, then played in Canapolis. Talked a little bit to Romy Gonzalez, who of course is also a former Miami Hurricane. And as we see Jacob Burke in 2023, I think there's some high expectations that we can place upon him because, considering his draft status, considering his build, considering the success that he's had across his college career and in high school. I think uh, the White Sox found something really special here.
2: Yeah, I think he clearly like wants to play center field and thinks that that's where his future lies. I mean, you know, like I said, like we don't have full minor league rosters, but I mean, I would imagine like Winston, and if that's the case, like maybe he's the primary center fielder in Winston. So that I think that would be good. But either way, he's like a guy worth following. You know, even though he's an eleventh round pick, I noted in the piece he really he got seventh round money you know, I've kind of got some questions on that. It's it's something that I feel like you and I talk about a lot, like as it pertains to the baseball draft, like the gist of it, you know, like after the 10th round, it basically like you can pay players 125K and it doesn't count against your bonus pool, but the overage does. So, you know, they paid him 225 in round 11. And I think the 11th round picks are pretty important because that's like the first guy that you know, you really care about essentially. So 225 in round eleven means a hundred thousand dollars counts against their bonus pool. Whereas if they would have just paid him two twenty five in round seven, the entire two twenty five K, you know, would go against their pool. So that's the reason for manipulating it. I talked to Jacob about that. He said, you know, he didn't really understand the process, but the agent like kept him in the loop and you know, that was like around the area. He was kind of told that he would go like in the six to 10 range, something like that. And yeah, so he'll be with the White Sox. He was, uh, you know, forthcoming, I think is probably like a little bit of an understatement. I think he was uh, like, he was pretty confident when I talked to him and look, I told him like this stuff was going to go in the piece and I was pretty, you know, I was like, Hey man, anything you like, don't want me to write. Like I won't, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, the stuff about, what he wants fans to think of what he is. I mean, he definitely thinks he's good, but that's, that's probably a good thing because that's probably the attitude you need to have to succeed, I would think.
1: And I just want to stick on this a little bit longer here, James, because, I mean, you pulled some really good quotes from a young man who is beginning his professional career, got a taste of it at the end of his college season last year after he was drafted and introduced to the organization. But it seems to me that, like you said, the confidence radiates. What was it like speaking to him? What, what did you learn about the person as you were uh, interviewing Jacob Burke?
2: I guess like he like i've talked to kids in the past like bryce bush and dj gladney and some others and a lot of times they are like pretty awestruck you know yes sir and it's short answers but i feel like it was like more natural for this guy i don't know i don't know if he had like some sort of like media training or is too green to like know not to say certain things right but it it kind of reminded me of gavin sheets like when i talked to sheets sheets was in AAA a already but if you remember he was like that was the first time he had told anybody that like he he was moving to the outfield and we kind of like broke that story like in the article that i wrote this kind of just like seemed similar to me he, he just like felt very comfortable very confident you know developed a relationship with the area scout and basically just like wanted to turn pro and you know 225 K is what convinced him. I mean, look, like he said, like he thought he was going to play football, you know, and then that didn't really work out. He went to Southeastern Louisiana for two years and was really good. And then he went to Miami for a year and was, you know, was, was good enough to, you know, get paid as a seventh round pick essentially. So yeah, I just, I think he, I think he's interesting. I think if he's on our top 30, by midseason, like I, I really wouldn't be surprised, especially if he's playing center field and hits at all. So I just, you know, I, I, try to identify these guys that I think are interesting and I think he's one of them. And look, I like linking it in with Romy, like, wasn't an accident. Like, I don't, I don't think they're that dissimilar. Um, obviously like when Romy was taken, like we didn't really think anything of it. Right. But then it was kind of like how he reacted to the pandemic. He turned himself into a big leaguer. Hopefully this guy can be on the same path.
1: Go to dot and check out that article written by James on Jacob Burke. And just want to read a quick quote from Burke in the, uh, in the piece. And he says, I'm a human highlight reel fan favorite type player. I play with no fear and a lot of energy, and I kind of bring a little bit of everything to the table. There's not one thing that I do exceptionally well, but I think I have all five tools. I'm a very exciting player to watch, and I think the White Sox made a good decision. Teams will realize in the future that they'll regret passing on me. So love the confidence. He said he will stick in center field. There's so much information in this article, so credit to James for putting that together. And uh, there's also another note that you wanted to hit on regarding the draft, James, so please feel free.
2: Yeah, something I was kind of waiting on. Jim Callis, you know, actually provided us with a lot of information for this podcast. Always love Jim and he's uh very gracious with his time when he joins us. You know, so the White Sox are picking fifteenth in the draft this July. Total bonus pool of nine million seventy-two thousand eight hundred. So with the overage, remember you can go five percent over. They're right around nine and a half million dollars that they can spend on their pick. Their first pick, fifteenth overall. The White Sox have traditionally been like a – slot value team. So they usually stick pretty closely to slot value. And then, you know, they take money out of like the eighth, ninth and 10th round, you know, we'll, we'll get into all this as we get closer to the draft, but their first pick is, you know, 4,488,600. So close to like four and a half million on their first rounder. Isn't, isn't something that they've spent lately just cause they've been down later in the round. And I think I mentioned on the podcast before this draft is, I think the best one since I've started covering and it's been like five, six years, I think for, for us and for me covering. So it's a pretty good draft class. I'm looking forward to covering it, you know, and this is like, you know, just like the first step having this whole, you know, the, the bonus pools here. So, and obviously like me and Josh, you know, we'll have mock drafts coming and I guess one other note that's not really White Sox related, but I don't know how much you've paid attention, Mike, but like the clear best position player in the class, Dylan Cruz from LSU just like a complete one, one stud outfielder from LSU, the bonus pools went up and like the pirates pick first, but their slot at one is like $9.7 million. This is why like in my mock so far, like I haven't put him there. Boris is representing him. That's like a record bonus. He should go number one. I don't think the pirates are giving him that type of bonus. This will be a storyline for us over the next couple of months.
1: There it is. That's a little nugget that we're gonna follow throughout the year. And you can follow us on Twitter at FutureSocks for Everything. James is at JamesFox917. I'm at nine zero six. So stick with us all season long. Major League Baseball's underway. Minor League Baseball's getting going today thursday april 6th we're excited to cover the affiliates of the chicago white Sox, and we're looking forward to the amateur draft in the middle of the summer we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to break it down birmingham winston salem cannapolis that's double a advanced A, and low a don't go anywhere you have the future Sox podcast
0: there's no i in team but there is one in indeed and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours when you're hiring you need indeed All right, James. Rosters
1: released. Uh, we're projecting a little bit because some players are beginning the season hurt. However, we can anticipate where they'll end up and how they'll perform at that level, and where we can expect them to be near the end of the season. Let's begin in Birmingham because I think that'll tell us a lot. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, like the White Sox number one prospect, Colson Montgomery. I do think there's some discrepancy, I guess, here just because, like, I was under the impression that he would go to Birmingham, but he's, you know, he has an oblique injury. So he's on the injured list at Winston Salem, but I, that was his last level I think. So I think that's why he's back there. Right, look, it, it doesn't seem like it's too long of a of an injury. He's like ramping back up. I expect him to spend the majority of the season with Double A at Birmingham. I guess it doesn't really matter that much where he starts, but Colson Montgomery top prospect in the system obviously. He'll be there eventually. But then the guys like right after him, Ramos is in Birmingham as well. And something that was, a, I guess, not terribly surprising is Jose Rodriguez in Birmingham. I think Rodriguez should be the shortstop in Charlotte, but with all the major league backfill and the way that Chris gets and these guys kind of do things, right? Like they have a lot of vets in Charlotte, no Montgomery in Birmingham. So it'll allow Jose Rodriguez to play shortstop there once they get started. So I think that's, you know, I guess that's normal, but, you know, Rodriguez could be in Charlotte very soon. And then you walkie is in the Birmingham outfield. And then, you know, there's another outfielder that's, you know, on our just missed list. I think a guy that, you know, you, you've kind of been interested in that could potentially have like a big league future as a fifth outfielder type in, uh, in Duke Ellis too. Yeah,
1: he was, uh, I mean, he's a lightning rod, a lot of energy. I remember when uh, our Winston Salem correspondent at the time, Julie Brady was covering Duke Ellis and she would always tell us about how extravagant he was on the field and how he was able to entertain the fans. So I'm just curious how he's going to develop. Uh, He turned 25 this year. So, I mean, that's just one name, but you, you mentioned a handful in relation to the starting pitching staff, Matt Thompson, Christian Mena are the two headliners. Now, considering how highly Chris Getz thinks of Matt Thompson, I I wonder how long he'll stick in Birmingham. I think you want to get his feet underneath him. And then once he settles in, you maybe expect an aggressive promotion to Charlotte depending on how the Charlotte pitching staff is doing as well but Christian Maynett participating in Project Birmingham last year establishing himself as a legitimate top 10 top 5 prospect in the White Sox system I think something that's interesting James is the coaching staff in Birmingham is getting a promotion right Um, well they got a promotion they were the coaching staff in high A Winston-Salem that's Lorenzo Bundy Uh, Nicky Delmonico and Danny Farquhar they move all the way to Birmingham and they stick together this is Delmonico's second season with the group uh, Farquhar's fourth season with the organization and now Bundy is in his second year managing Lorenzo Bundy is a lifer Uh, that guy is a baseball lifer played in the minor leagues coached all over uh, the world internationally and within major league baseball organizations so there's a guy with a lot of knowledge and somebody who can communicate with international prospects as well on that coaching staff. So just a little note there uh, in Birmingham, some of the relievers, James, Luke Schilling, Caleb Freeman. I mean, so many hard throwing arms are in the pen that can make jumps. I'm just curious how some of these other prospects are going to develop. I'm not so much concerned about the bullpen I did want to throw those names out there, though, because we've had our eyes on Schilling and Freeman for quite a bit now, even Gil Luna to a certain extent. Um, So those are a few names that will be in Birmingham as well. Anything else that you'd like to touch on outside of, uh, oh, I didn't even mention the catchers, too. Xavier Fernandez and Adam Hackenberg are your catchers in, in Birmingham. So there's that note.
2: You know, the other interesting thing, Luis Miesis too, I think I forgot about him is listed in the outfield. So, you know, when he was a major league invite to spring training or whatever, minor league invite, he was listed as an infielder. So I kind of feared that they had pushed him to first base. Cause like for anybody, like he's listed now 64 30 finally, which is more accurate, but I'm not sure that's totally accurate either. Like Luis Miesis is a large person. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I guess I would imagine left field and then you'll, play Duke Ellis maybe in right field and you keep Joelki in in center or whatever. It doesn't really matter, but he's listed in the outfield. He can really mash right-handed pitching. So that's interesting there. And then obviously, yeah, there's some, some other guys to kind of fill in. And Moises Castillo was a minor league rule five of the uh, Cardinals last year. He could really, really defend, but he struggled with the bat. So yeah, Birmingham's got some interesting names, but it's like you said, like the, The pitching staff has a couple of guys, but uh, like Winston has a lot of these guys. And what that means is like a lot of those guys will make the way to Birmingham later on this summer. So I think that part might be the most interesting.
1: So let's get to the Winston-Salem dash, the advanced A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, One of those names that will likely pitch in Birmingham in my estimation this year is Jonathan Cannon. Jonathan Cannon, uh, a recent draft pick who yeah, he throws hard enough uh to get hitters out. It's the command and movement on his pitches. Jonathan Cannon pumps strikes and his stuff move. So we'll see Cannon in Winston-Salem. Do you think that's an aggressive assignment or do you think it's just right?
2: I think it's fine. I don't, I guess I just like, you know, like we, we've talked so much about Canapolis and like what that league looks Mm -hmm. like now, right. With guys that like maybe shouldn't even be there. So I guess it's just, to me, it seems kind of like a waste of time for Cannon to even be there. And honestly, like we're going to touch on, you know, like a couple other guys, like a Tyler Schweitzer is, is in Canapolis. I just, I just don't know. Like if that matters or means anything, I think the the rotation is just full in Winston. But yeah, no, like I, I completely agree with you. I mean, Jonathan Cannon is a high floor guy. You know, he's, he doesn't come with a ton of ceiling, but I think he's a pretty safe big leaguer. He kind of reminds me of like a Dane Dunning type. So yeah, like I think Birmingham. And then I think, look, I think next year at this time, he's part of the big league pitching depth like the same way like a Sean Burke and a Matthew Thompson are right now. I think he kind of catapults himself over a couple of these guys just because of like the pitch ability as like a number four starter potentially. And look, the rest of the Winston-Salem rotation is interesting too.
1: And we can touch on that as well. I mean, Jared Kelly and Norhe Vera. I mean, I'm very interested in Norhe Vera, but I think James, this is a, a really important year for Jared Kelly.
2: Yeah. Very important. So he's listed on the injured list. Um, you know, on the list that Jim Callis put out with a fractured left foot, I think James Fegan of The Athletic wrote about this, and they didn't really think it was inhibiting him too much. Like, I think he's pitching, so I don't know if he's just, like, a couple weeks delayed or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, this year we'll basically decide if Jared Kelly's still a prospect or not. We've kind of talked a lot about, you know, when do you pull the plug and transition him to relief? Like, if the innings don't pile up, like, that's part of the conversation. But this is one good thing about drafting high schoolers, is that he's, he's what, like, 21 maybe, I think. So, I mean, even, like, if he struggles a little bit more, like, he could always just, like, go back to high A or, you know, be on track for Birmingham. So, you know, the the, the rotation I think there is interesting. You know, Andrew Dahlquist has really struggled. I think he's going to be there, too, in Winston. And then one that's a little bit surprising to me, Cole Simus. Mm-hmm. I just, like, I don't know. I feel like he might be ready for Birmingham. Like, I, I just, like, what we keep hearing about him and, like, how good he looks, but they've really, really slow played him. And I guess I just like kind of want to see what he looks like in double-A to see if he could move a little bit quicker.
1: Yeah, the Birmingham rotation has names that are interchangeable. There are starters who have started in the past, those who have experience in the pen and starting, uh, and those who have kind of come from outside the organization who are, I don't want to call them fillers, but these are guys who have been around. Uh, and unless they really take a step forward in their own individual careers, uh, they're not going to be really mentioned a lot, at least on this podcast. So you think there's room for aggressive assignments following the first month or two, maybe, uh, I don't know, six starts uh, in Winston. I think I, I, I never really had an issue with playing it safe with pitchers. As we look through Winston-Salem, I'm trying to find... Oh, there it is. One of the, one of the players that I was looking for is Wes Kath. Because as Westcath began his professional career, we were concerned that maybe that the swing and miss rate would be too much and he would get exposed too much uh, at higher levels professionally. But to me, I think Westcath proved, one, that he has power and two, that he is capable of adjusting to what pitchers are doing to him. And he was athletic enough to play a third base. So that was very encouraging. He's at Winston-Salem to start the year. Got a taste uh, of double A Birmingham in the project last year. So, those are the types of names that you're looking for in Winston-Salem. And there's a healthy crop of those in Winston-Salem, too. Terrell Tatum's on our top 30 list. He's an outfielder and beginning in Winston-Salem, a lot of uh, athleticism there. So, as we look ahead, James, you mentioned Cole Seamus. I just wonder what exactly the plan is for Kanapolis then. Uh, because, like you said, without the benefit of rookie league, you know, players typically in their draft season go to the Arizona Complex League and then they make a decision maybe quickly to Canapolis. And as I'm talking through this, James, I can't help but get the feeling that as minor league baseball had changed over the last three seasons when they started minimizing, I mean, even beyond that, was it four or five seasons now? I think the talent crop is so different. like It's hard to evaluate – these types of assignments today versus four years ago because players in double-a went through a lot more i would say than those who are starting in double-a today and that's not a knock on those on the talent these days uh the modern era is just different because of the changes that minor league baseball underwent and i think to me like we should change the way we evaluate assignments today does that make any sense
2: yeah, for sure because I think like, you know, there's a lot of players that are going to be forced to play in Canapolis that like might not be ready to play in Canapolis. You know, it doesn't seem like something the White Sox are necessarily going to do just cuz like I do feel like a lot of these um like guys that were in DS in the DSL or even some of them that were in the ACL last year are just going to stay and extend and play rookie ball, right? Like some of these guys that I've covered like your Ryan Burrows is and Eric Hernandez and those guys, like I think those guys are on the team in Arizona like this summer. So they won't be starting right away. But I mean, the White Sox did take a bunch of college performers in last year's draft. Right. And like, I don't know necessarily where Jacob Burke's going, like we said, but I mean, he could easily be in Canapolis, you know, with other guys who have been in the system for a while, like Logan Glass and Maceo Gonzalez and Liriano, like those types of guys. And then, you know, like they took Jordan Sprinkle in round four. Like, I'm pretty sure he'll be down there. So like, look, like some of these guys are probably too advanced for that league, but I feel like it's not like the worst thing in the world, right? Like your guy, Tim Elko, I would imagine is, is in Canapolis. Brooks Baldwin. These are all like college picks that they took. Last year, so I think while Canapolis and Winston are a little bit interchangeable, we kind of saw what low A looked like after Major League Baseball made the changes, and and it wasn't great because like teams would send guys like, look, we just saw Benjamin Bailey get released this week, right? Like a guy like that was sent to Canapolis to like flounder, and it wasn't just the White Sox; like lots of teams did it, so. I just like think that there's kind of been an adjustment made and like that baseball is a little bit better. Um, But that's why I do think it still means like what it used to, right? Like if you go and accomplish double A Birmingham, like I think that's a heck of an accomplishment, which is why, you know, when guys like Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez go and do what they do there, like I raise an eyebrow and start to think that, you know guys are real prospects i mean look like we, we we're we not going to talk charlotte a ton because we just did that but i mean like lenny and sosa's on a tear again like in charlotte shocker as we've talked about on the show like guys that do what he did in birmingham like it shouldn't be a surprise if they go to AAA and they're just as good or if not better right because of how tough that league is so you know, we, we kinda touched on the the Winston Salem pitching staff, but I do think like I, I guess I wasn't really expecting Winston Salem to be this star studded with like top thirty types, but I but I I, I was kinda wrong because the lineup's interesting too. It looks like we're gonna have uh Wilfred Varus there, and I'll be curious to see just like what he plays, like if they play him in left field, if they play him, you know, at first base, because I'm pretty sure Kath is going to be the third baseman, you know, at Winston, which makes a lot of sense and then you know obviously like you, you mentioned terrell tatum will be in the outfield there and lloydell Chapei will be the second baseman at winston-salem jumping all the way up from the dsl will actually finally get a read on maybe like the type of player this guy is or how good he actually is like going to winston-salem which is a much more um like appropriate landing spot for him and then you know just like briefly back to the rotation like we we talked about cannon and kelly and some of these guys but i mean dude like this is where norhe vera is and like like i know that like we're down on him and we ranked him where we did but i mean like this is still one of the highest upside players in this entire system if norhe vera is healthy and pitches and his stuff stays in line and he doesn't like start throwing 91 and petering out like Later on in outings, I mean, this is a dude that's going to be like must watch on MILB TV every five days.
1: I sure hope that he commits himself to stay as a starter because that's what I want to see. I want to see Norge Vera as a starting pitcher. Another starting pitcher that I want to see is Peyton Paulette. Now projected to go to Canapolis, seems healthy. James, you're putting together our Canapolis Cannonballers affiliate preview What are some of the names uh, that are jumping out to you? Who do you like in Kanapolis as you're preparing for the season?
2: Well, so I think, like, you know, the most interesting guy is not there, obviously, and Noah Schultz. Like, Noah Schultz is staying in extended spring training. He had, like, a a flexor strain that wasn't really deemed that serious, but, you know, it's a flexor strain and it's an injury for a guy that was as big as he is. So. Who knows, right? But apparently he's gonna be there in June because then he can pitch all the way through to September and like that's where he'll be, but he's gonna start an extended spring. So he will not be in that rotation to start. But the rotation's still a little bit interesting. You got Peyton Paulette their second rounder from last year, hasn't pitched since he pitched at Arkansas and rehab Tommy John all summer. I know some baseball America writers were in Arizona and were um, and were impressed with what they saw from Peyton Paulette So, you know, he's interesting. And then Tanner McDougal is uh Make it his full season debut in Canapolis as well. You'll have Tyler Schweitzer, who is a the fifth round pick, just like a, you know, a lefty out of Ball State. I, I think is is kind of interesting too. And then, you know, on the position player side, it is like some older guys, mostly headlined by Jordan Sprinkle. I mean, Jordan Sprinkle's an actual prospect. He'll play short, but you know, like your Tim Elkos of the world and. Some of these like older college types that the White Sox have drafted, I think those guys are going to be pretty much in the um, in the Canapolis lineup, and then you'll see guys filter up, obviously from from Arizona this summer. You know, I think the highest rated player that we have on the list that doesn't really have a current home is is Ryan Burroughs too, because he's going to be an extended spring, and then you know we'll see him this summer in Arizona. But right now, he's you know he's on hold playing backfield games in Arizona. It seems.
1: We're in 2023, Project Birmingham ended the season in 2022. A lot of those players are in Winston-Salem. Those who made the um, the aggressive leap from single A to double A are returning back to single A, but others are remaining in double A. Now, last time that I asked you about this, well, probably not, but as we begin 2023, now that we're this far out, do you think, I mean, we've exhausted this, Conversation, but to me, I feel it was so opportune for the organization to do what they did at the end of last year. And I'm curious how it's going to matter this season, if it matters at all, and if we're gonna see anything translate from that experiment last season.
2: Yeah, like I mean, I'm sure like some guys gained confidence doing what they did, right? I think like Matthew Thompson towards the end of the year, like made some real gains, like even though his numbers weren't great. So I'm like curious to see how he starts the year. In Birmingham, because that's like an important guy that was a a former second round pick. I mean, Sean Burke is in Charlotte, like after doing well. And then like on the offensive side, I feel like a lot of guys kind of struggled a little bit, but one of them that really took to it was Wilfred Varys. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, and, and, and look like with him, it's all about like where he plays, right? Like if he's a first baseman, I think he's kind of ordinary, but if he can play left field, like he's a prospect. So You know, that's one of the guys there. I think like Colson Montgomery, I think was just like tired at the end of the year. And Wes Kath had no business being in Birmingham facing double A pitching. But, you know, as like we kind of talked about, like his August was pretty good last year at Canapolis. So I'm like curious to see what took at Winston. I mean, this is like the fun part right now because there's guys that we're not talking about or guys at like the bottom of this list that are, you know, going to do pretty well, I think, and, you know, they'll move up the list and then there'll be other guys that are, you know, I guess like a little bit forgotten and, and, you know, we'll see what happens, but you know, the, the start of the minor league season is always fun. The White Sox have guys at each affiliate that I think are worth tracking and that, you know, that's good for what we do and people that are listening and reading.
1: I'm keeping an eye on Peyton Paulette, Jordan Sprinkle, Jacob Burke, among others and the lower level affiliates, Jonathan Cannon as well. Love me some Christian Mena and double-A. Looking forward to Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos, of course, and what Colson Montgomery is able to accomplish throughout the year. Hopefully Noah Schultz is healthy as well. Pitching, 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 pitching. White Sox continue to develop the pitching. I'm looking forward to what we have in July as the draft you know, is the center focus. And in June, we're going to be keeping an eye on everything going on within the White Sox front office what they want to decide to do in the international signing period as well across the entire season, because we have James Fox with us. James, thanks so much for everything that you do. And thanks for being with us again this week. Enjoy your time in Pittsburgh, by the way, you're going to be out next week on the episode, but uh, what are you going to be, what are you going to be doing out there?
2: Well, I mean, so we're leaving Friday. Uh, We're, you know, we're going for Easter kind of, but the White Sox are in town. So uh, we're going to go to two baseball games and, you know, logistics, we'll see. Like, I think I might be bringing two young children to a baseball game, so we'll see. But, look, it's like a, you know, that park's like a minor league park where there's, like, a bunch of space to walk around. So, whatever, we'll see. But, yeah, so going going Friday there for the weekend. It'll be kind of weird, like, being at a baseball game, like, on Easter. I don't know if I've ever done that before, but, uh, uh, yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Well, enjoy your time off, sir. We will talk to you the next time that you're on the Future Sox podcast. Every time we do record a Future Sox podcast, it will be dropped on Tuesday, except this episode was special because we're celebrating the beginning of all the affiliates underway. It is another opening day in 2023, the final one this year, unless you want to count late season Arizona Complex League, which hey, I don't blame you. So anyway. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Future Sox Podcast. Go to SoxMachine.com. Consider becoming a patron. We appreciate it. It's what keeps us afloat, so we thank you. We're going to be talking more White Sox baseball next week on the episode. Expect it on Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.